welcome to this podcast where we're going to chat about the things that make a difference between performers who do very well and those who are completely outstanding. And today I'm speaking with Greg Layton from, in, from Neurosport. I want to find out a little bit about your background, Greg, and then also the things that you've noticed because your background is not just in helping people in sport, but it's also about helping people in their business lives and, and getting results there. So just give us a little bit of background of the things that you're, you're currently doing and have done in the past that have led you to where you are with Neurosport. Sure, Peter, and um, thanks for inviting me along um, to your podcast. Yeah, just a quick background, I suppose, on, on, on my journey. Um, I suppose it probably started around about 10 years ago when I, I, I developed a real passion for um, my own personal growth, and that's where it started out was how do I improve myself and and in many ways, just reach my own potential. And, and as time went on, um, I, I read literally hundreds of different books, uh, watched podcasts uh, or, or, or videos online, um, ended up putting myself through all sorts of courses. And the end outcome was that I, I became a, um, a, a bit of a personal guinea pig. I ran tests on myself, um, doing uh, ultra marathons. I went and lived in a Shaolin temple in China. I put myself through the ringer to test the effectiveness of what I was reading and what I was watching and the, and the courses I was on. Um, then I would also take those applications and I would use them at work. And after a period of time, um, I left my work, which was originally in project management and in, uh, in mainly in IT, and I became a high-performance coach. And that started out in amateur sport um, and initially with some executive coaching, which I was fortunate enough to, to land very early on. Um, and in fact, I was over in Hong Kong doing a lot of work over there and I returned to Australia and started my own business in, in high-performance coaching. What I've worked on over the last uh, probably five years has been these models of high-performance that we coach that are how does an individual perform, how does a team perform, as an organisation perform, and what are the elements that create high performance? So some of the structural elements, high performance, and some of the behavioural or cultural elements. Um, and that's where I am now, and now I, um, I run a business um, called Neurosport, and uh, we work um, with large corporates and uh, elite sport and even amateur sport to help individuals, teams, organisations um, really change the game, go the extra mile, and uh, that's what we do. I'm fascinated by the the Shaolin because there's a there's always a mystical uh, element to that. So what was it that you that you found there or you learnt there that actually helped prepare you and moved you forward? Yeah, I, I mean the reason I went was for the very thing you you mentioned. It's, it sounds mystical, and and I was watching these videos and all these shows on TV and seeing these guys, you know lying down on these spears or breaking metal with their hands. And I thought, in my head is saying to me that is not possible, but what I'm seeing is clear evidence that they're doing something. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, it's fake. It's, that's not really steel. And th these are the things that are going through the back of your mind. Oh, yeah, right, a good show, nice magical act. But I thought to myself, they do look pretty clearly like almost congruent with the way they're going about it. And they're meant to be Buddhists, so surely they're not lying, you know. <laughs> so I said, right, I'll see if I can go and find out what these guys are doing. Considering most of what I do is around mental performance, I wanted to know, what, what do these guys do as far as mental performance? What's that performance state? 
Um, how is that driven? Is that driven by a set of beliefs, a set of like preparation? So my, my, my intention when I went there was not to really learn um, uh, Kung Fu. It was more to learn the mentality behind it. Uh, so I, I went into this uh, school up in uh, Shandong province. And what I discovered were through um, observing um, a number of other students that were going... Uh, were preparing for major demonstrations. So one of the guys that I trained with uh, was an Irish guy. He'd been there for, uh, I think, four to five years. He was preparing to break a brick on his own head, which is quite a common thing. You'll see these guys break bricks. And I thought, oh, well, this will be interesting to watch. And, and this, the, the way that it played out was totally unexpected. So I was training with this guy in a small troop every single day, and we trained around eight hours a day. When it was announced that um, uh, this uh, fellow was about to go and learn how to break a brick on his head, he was separated from the group, and the first thing they started doing was conditioning him for the break. Now, that's physical conditioning. So he would um, basically do uh, like um, um, sort of half splits and start stretching, and in the half split position, he would then put his head on the ground. So it was almost like he was balancing on his head and his toes, um, or, you know, with his, with his butt right up in the air. And what he started doing then was rolling, he had bald head, and he was rolling his head on the concrete back and forth to toughen up the skin on the top of the roof of his head. And I thought, wow, that's, of course. Otherwise, when you break a brick, it's going to split the skin. So it wasn't something mystical. There was a clear process behind what they did. Now, the secondary benefit of that was he was strengthening up the muscles in his neck so that he could absorb the force of a brick literally being smashed on the top of his skull. I thought, well, that's really interesting. You know, there's a whole set of things going into the background, which built this really solid belief that he could do this. So he was, like, adding more and more evidence that he could do this. Now, there was a range of other things that he did that resulted in more and more preparation. He did a lot of meditation, a lot of qigong, which is harnessing your personal energy and, and focusing your energy on a single point. Um, there is a, um, uh, I suppose that is one of the hardest things to describe Qigong unless you have experienced training it. But when you learn to harness energy into a single point um, through meditation uh, and focus, uh, the, the result is really quite incredible. Um, that's something I think people need to experience rather than me trying to explain to them how, how that actually works. And I'm actually not that familiar with the science behind it either. Um, Regardless, he did a lot of qigong, he did a lot of meditation, he did a lot of physical preparation, more than I thought. Um, and sh sure enough, a month later, he was in front of um, the, the audience. He did a, a bunch of... In, in training, he'd done two or three practice breaks with brittle bricks, so bricks that were not fully hard, mm. and we knew they were going to break easily, just so he could get used to this slow build-up. And you think, well, of course you would. Of course you would if you're going to do something as dramatic as breaking a brick on your head. Um, anyway, he did it in front of the entire audience. And the interesting thing was he'd been meditating for about an hour prior to the break. He walked up on stage, uh, assumed a, a seated position, cross-legged on the floor, totally... Like, he was so in the zone, it wasn't funny. He was clearly practicing Qigong. They shattered the brick. He didn't move. I mean, he didn't get up and punch the air. He sat dead still. He was so centred 
so centred that it was like he didn't even know it had happened. He got up afterwards, um, and I was having lunch with him a couple of hours later, and I said, what was it like? And he said, it felt like a cool waterfall flowing down my back. Mm. And I thought, this is incredible. And I've just witnessed the exact process this guy went through. And then I felt the bricks. They were real bricks, trust me. You know, so there's nothing um, I think that is necessarily mystical about the Shaolin. They have a process that they've practiced for thousands of years, and they believe it. And it is that rock-solid, justifiable belief, justifiable confidence that leads them to do some of the most incredible things in front of you. Their preparation is meticulous. Their state control is meticulous. Everything about them screams, I can do this. And they don't do it until they can scream that. So, I mean, clearly there's no real-life practical application of having a brick broken on your head. Yeah. But that can be a, a metaphor for for anything, really, preparing yeah. to go forward in the world. So the lessons that you took from that that you've been able to apply in business and with your own coaching, mm. what have been the, the clear messages that you look to impart to others when you're coaching them? Well, I think first and foremost, and, and I, we took, you know, you sort of opened up speaking about the difference that makes a difference between good and great, or those that are, you know, coming fourth and fifth and those that are winning. Mm. Now, I'm going to disregard um, team and group and sort of organisational factors for the moment and say, at an individual level, what do you need to have? And the very first thing is you need to know what your outcome is. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Now, that might be winning a tournament. Um, it might be um, a business goal of some sort that you want to nail. You've got to know what it is. And, and you know, Stephen Covey used to have this saying, begin with the end in mind. Now, what that truly means is step forward into the future and step into having what you want. You know, that's what beginning with the end in mind is. Have the end now, you know, live the future now so that you can know what it's like having achieved your goal. So it's imagining being in that, that space, having achieved the goal as realistically as if it, it had actually happened. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly what you need to have because if you don't have a real crystallised vision with full sound and the feelings that go with having achieved what it is you want, it's just so much harder to get there. If you read um, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a fantastic book called Total Recall. I found it really fascinating until he started speaking about politics and then I lost interest. But you, you, you read the way that he describes setting goals or knowing his outcome was he crystallised the image in his head. And he kept working on it and kept working on it until he could crystallise it and know what it meant. Now, it's that crystallisation as far as total clarity, total understanding of the future that allows you to then create a set of actions that will get you there. Now, the actions might be physical training, there might be some technical training, um, might be uh, mental performance, it might be getting a bunch of people around to support you socially. Um, but the key is start with what it is you want and truly get the right version of that in your head, the, the, the crystallisation of the outcome. Um, so the people that, that I've seen that are really great, they, they crystallise things better than anyone else. And then they generate massive action towards getting that. Now, now how do they do that? There, there is a lot of theory around grit and determination. And, and, and the thing that I've noticed about the best of the best is, geez, they work hard. Like, they really do train super hard. And they love it. They yeah. absolutely love training. They love being there. They make it fun. So 
they know that every single time they go to training, they're on the road to this greater vision. And it's a fun road, so they're not waiting for celebration at some other point. They really do enjoy the present. And as a result, when they get ready for training, their intention is really powerful. Their purpose for being there, they're deliberate you know, in every action they take. They also know that every time they fail or don't succeed in whatever, you know, wherever they're determining success, that's okay because they're on a mission for something far greater. So the people that succeed the most have generally failed the most in order to get there. So it's this total resilience to failure. In fact, failure, they just know. They're looking for points of failure because they know that's the opportunity to get better and refine. So people who are highly successful really know the vision. And they have this grit and determination, which means along the journey, I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to keep failing and getting better and better and better and better along the way. You know, that's the mindset they take to everything they do. Now, as I said, there's a whole bunch of other things around creating the culture of it and the team people and getting people to work with you. But at a really basic level, if you don't start with what you want and then get, you know, take action to get there, you just won't. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, everything else around being in a great flow state is absolutely critical. But if you don't know where you're going with it, you know, create a framework with which you can operate. Mm. So, so do you ever have clients that come along and you ask them to be really clear on what it is they want and they say, I don't know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so how do you, what's the the next steps in the process when someone does that? Well, there's a, the, the clear process for me is we normally, we chunk them up out of their existing life. So at the moment, people generally don't know what they want because of the chaos in their life. Okay, so well, there's all these distractions like, oh, I've got a partner, I've got a career, I've got a, got a training, I've got to do this, I've got this, this, there's all these different things, you know, and they're all competing for your time. And when you're in the moment and in your life, it's very hard to have any clarity. Mm. So one of the first things we do is we step them up and above and out of their life so they can almost see themselves from a distance. And what that does is allow them to create a bit of space between them and what they want. So instead of being in their life, we jump them out so they can almost work on it. You know, and on it and working on you is one of the key frames for how do you create high performance. Every now and then you've got to step out and work on yourself. It's like a sporting team. They play on the weekend. Monday morning they come in and they do a bunch of video review and analysis. And when you're in that space, looking at their performance from a distance, they have insights into what they want to change and improve. So the very first thing we do is we step out of their current world. We might Sometimes we need to leave the city. We need to create a bit of geographical space. Sometimes we can just go to a cafe. But we step right out, and then we say, well, what is it that we want from a life perspective? And what is our intention? You know, what, what is your intention for you know, doing any particular um, event or a major goal? You know, so if your intention is simply to win, well you know, you're going to get a very different outcome to someone whose intention is to learn and to grow. Mm. That idea of clarity makes perfect sense. I know, um, you know, if I'm travelling in an aeroplane or something like that and there's essentially, there's no distractions of all the, the mod cons and that sort of thing or if I'm on holiday or something like that, seem to have more insights into, mm. you know, what I'm looking to do. Is that the type of situation that you're trying to get people into? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I'm well described. I mean... Um, Interestingly, things like creating height and distance and uh, from your current life has this really cool effect where you just um, you seem to have greater insight and clarity. Putting nature around you and things like that makes a big difference. 
Um, I was chatting to a guy recently who's um, uh, one of the, I think he was director level at one of the major consulting firms, and he was a bit unsure about what he wanted to do in life. And I said, oh, where do you get the most clarity? And he goes, oh, when I'm out you know, camping. And I was like, well, go camping. Yeah. Like, you know, you've got a model there that works for you. You know, if you're unsure about what to do, let's just get out there and do it and, and, and have a bit of fun with it. I mean, we take life so seriously sometimes that, you know, sometimes the best medicine is to get away from it all and have some fun, do some physical activity which puts you in a great um, headspace, you know, almost flow state. You know, we, we talk about, you know, the, the sport that you love or something that you can do, even playing a musical instrument or, or something which gets you in a great headspace. When you're in that space do an assessment of where you're at in life and what you want. Um, if you're stressed and in the chaos of your world, you're not in a great headspace to make clear and precise decisions about what you want. It's too hard. So get out of it and do something different and do some physical exercise in the world around you and then when you're out there you've got clarity, then make a decision about what it is you want. Yeah, and that's great advice too. And you know, even as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of you know, in the shower, <laughs> even going for a walk. It's like, and and I know that a lot of people now are advocating walking meetings. I think um, Steve Jobs was one of those mm. who sort of advocated mm. his people walking. Yeah. So, other traits that that some of these athletes have. So we've, we've talked about the fact that they're really, really clear on what they want. Uh, they work hard, mm. and when they you know, if they do stumble, it's not like it's not the end of the world. And I guess something like if if we were in a car and you're driving home, and there's roadworks on the on the road that you would normally go on, and so you take a side road and there's more roadworks, you know, it, it's not going to prevent you from getting home mm, because mm. you know you know yep. where your home is. No, your destination is. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, that's great. What what else have you noticed that seems to um, differentiate? the really good with the absolutely outstanding? Uh, I think once you've got all those other elements in place around, the, the, we sort of often refer to the structural elements, and structure being, you know, that, that, that vision and a bunch of goals and, and a clear training plan for what you're working at. Then you start talking about um, performance and what is it like when you get in the clutch moment. Mm. Um, now, for me, the quality of your flow state when you're actually performing and your resilience is so, so, so important. I mean, I've been watching um, some of the media in the last 12 months talking about why AFL goal kickers miss the goal. They're like, oh, it's technical, it's technical. Oh, he's left-brained or he's right-brained. You know, and when it comes down to it, the guy has kicked the goal probably 10,000 times. Mm. It's not technical. Let's get the facts straight. It's the quality of his flow state because his state affects his ability to perform technically. As soon as he tenses up, he loses that beautiful muscle freedom, that relaxed muscular tension. That's a total, total freedom to kick properly. When there's a tension in certain parts of the body, he loses his form. That's, you know, that's obvious to me, it seems, but I think... Um, people want to justify and they're, and they're really worried about talking about, oh, my mental performance isn't great. You know what? Well, we just got to get comfortable with the fact that that is the number one thing. That is your number one computer. Your mental performance drives your physical performance. It drives your mental performance. It drives your social interaction, everything about it. So the quality of your state, change your state, change your outcome. When you're in a really awesome flow state, everything just happens perfectly. You 
you're accurate, you're precise, everything slows down and you're calm, you're rhythmic, you're a lot happier, there's no internal dialogue. So the greats all have very resilient flow states. They handle any failure in front of them, that's just, right, that's just news, that just happened, I tried, and they keep trying, and they just stay in that flow state. And they're, and people say to me, oh, you know, you can't coach that. And, you know, I'll say to them, well, you don't, or maybe you haven't seen what we can do to coach that, but the answer is, we can totally coach that. So how do, you, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. That's the big question. That is a big question, yeah. Okay, so flow state is dependent on a number of things. Let's get the first one right meticulous preparation and mindset like you must prepare meticulously because that's the difference between um i suppose a certain level of arrogance and justifiable confidence so if you've done all the work to be where you are then that's fantastic you'll be much more resilient in the moment so this is physical preparation skill preparation. physical skill preparation understanding your tactics so like if you're if you're in 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 a team sport Understanding your role in certain contexts or your approach in certain contexts, even in golf, understanding your response to certain um, adversity, you know the game plan, you're much more calm. Mm. If you don't know the game plan, you know, there's things running for you at 100 miles an hour, you don't know the response. You know, so you need to know the game plan, you know, all your technical elements in place and tactical. So bundle all that up and ensure that when you walk onto whatever your field of endeavour is, uh, the boardroom, uh, a golf course, a tennis court, whatever, netball court, you've done all the work to justify being there. Mm. And you'll note that every time you master a new skill and it's ready for work in the, you know, on the field of performance, that life gets pretty awesome. You get a new level of performance. So that, that's number one. Number two, um, dealing with things like... Um, stopping internal dialogue um, or a lack of self-belief. Now, there are a number of physical things we can do in order to stop that. Uh, Things like um, um, tongue to the top of the palate of your mouth stops you talking to yourself. Things like um, what we call a slack jaw, where you open your jaw and you you almost disconnect it from the rest of your jaw and you you almost have a bit of a, a, a loose bottom jaw, actually stops internal dialogue. Michael Jordan was famous for another technique, which is sticking your tongue out when you're performing. So you stick your tongue out, you can't have internal dialogue. And don't don't misunderstand internal dialogue as being audio or or verbal cues. They're two different things. Internal dialogue is incessant talking inside your head that you really don't have any conscious control over. It comes from unconscious source, as opposed to an audio cue to trigger a state or a mindset. Two different things. Um, So... Using these physical tricks in order to maintain total silence inside your head and an external attention. Um, this, the other thing that we can do is a range of activities that help you build and improve peripheral vision, um, attention in the moment, um, uh, and the quality of your flow state at any even point, which is triggered or anchored to a moment. So I know you've probably seen anchoring by guys who kick goals, particularly in rugby, you see a lot of that. Um, where they trigger a particular anchor that they've set, um, triggering it, triggering flow states or just getting used to being in a flow state. So I found that as your emotional intelligence improves and you get better and better at it, you don't need triggers. You just assume flow state. You just assume. But refining those flow states through clear um, training, which you know we do all the time, definitely improves performance. Mm. I'm really interested, you, you mentioned peripheral vision and the the idea that, that most people would have of 
you know, intense concentration, which would go with, you know, flow state or, or feeling like they're in the zone or something like that, would almost be the opposite of peripheral vision. Uh, you'd think of usually intense concentration or as in focused on one point with the vision, and yet we're really talking about the opposite almost. Um, sorry, just clarify the, the point. So when you're in the moment... So maybe working on something that's right in front of you, like a computer screen or something, and you're in a flow state, mm. and you've got foveal vision, which is the opposite of peripheral. Yes. As opposed to when you're out and about and you have a peripheral vision, and they're two opposite things. Mm. So some, some interesting insights or distinctions we found about um, flow state is that the most important thing about flow state is you have the right flow state for the activity you're currently doing. So if I was, if I was doing a... Uh, reviewing a legal contract that had come through to me, I wouldn't necessarily have a state of open peripheral vision, with open peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. Right, I would have more focused attention on a single point for that particular moment, but no internal dialogue. I'm not speaking to myself inside my head. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's totally quiet. It's also an ex potentially just an external attention. I'm just reading the contract. Mm. You know, so the everything. And, and here's another one that's quite common with. Foveal vision is you block out all external sound. So I don't know if you've ever been reading a book and there's maybe a TV going on, and all this, you don't hear any of that all of a sudden. It's all switched off. Now, that's a nice, comfortable attention you know, on what's in front of you. Um, now, that's good for that particular process. Now, take that particular type of state and put that on a football field. Hmm. Immediate failure. Because you need to be paying attention to the noise around you. You need to be able to see the patterns of play. So what peripheral vision does is it allows you to see the pattern of the play that's coming in front of you. Let's just say that there's um, maybe you're on a, on a netball court and there's people moving everywhere. If you focus just on one person, what you don't see is how they're moving in relation to everyone else. And their movement in relation to everyone else tells you where the opportunity is. Yeah. That's the key. And the same with, like, even in golf. Um, if I have focused attention with no peripheral vision at all, I don't see how my body and my club is moving in relation to the ball. Mm. And that's really interesting because when you talk about the distinctions and how it can change, because in golf it's the same. You know, you, you need to have your awareness into the, into the environment when you're actually creating a strategy for a shot, you know, making decisions on win, pin positions, all that sort of stuff. And mm. then you'll become, your, your attention becomes a little bit more focused on you when it comes to making a practice swing. So, yeah, I can see how it changes. That's really interesting. Mm. 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 And so all of these traits, they're all, they're all trainable. Yeah, totally trainable. Mm. Yeah, and I think the technology for training them, to be honest, has probably been around. It's been refined, of course, but it's been around for 20 to 30 years and... and um, I think in many ways um, the technology has been competing with other you know, what, you know, things in psychology and, uh, and they've all been testing the results. But from what I've seen and from what I've coached and what I've tested myself, um, I, I've drastically improved my own mental performance over the last 10 years. And I mean drastically. Um, and and then there's, a new, there's a new TV show, out, which I just noticed the other day on ABC, called Brain Plasticity. Um, and uh, I can't remember exactly the rest of it, but it's on ABC and it's on iView. And 
talking about ways of improving your attention, your memory, and, and, and the quality of flow state. And some of the techniques that they use in that are exactly what we use, um, and we use a bunch of others as well. And so, you know, the, the information is there, the evidence is there. Um, I just think it's not mainstream. Most people don't know this. Um, you know, if you're working in a, in a corporate office, you know, you spend the vast majority of your time sitting, you spend the vast majority of your time doing one thing, and you're in a really average quality of state most of the time. And I would say most clients I work with tell me they operate with two or three states throughout their entire week. Mm. One's stressed. <laughs> so you that's know? not one that you're looking to try. No, that's not one that I want to keep, you know. Um, uh, another one might be um, relaxed because they're at a coffee shop finally. You know, another one is focus and attention, you know. But rarely are they in a great flow state with great rhythm. And, they're not, and you know, one of the, the most important ways of triggering that is by using movement on both sides of the body. You know, so um, we, we use um, uh, a bunch of games that we get people to play that in order to complete the game, you must be in a flow state. And the game requires um, full body movement. Um, that allows basically the left and right hemispheres of of your brain to work in unison in response to an external stimulus. That is, you've got um, left and right sides of the body going in a rhythmic, relaxed motion, and as a result of that, you get a uh, the triggering of a flow state. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I, I've worked in corporate world for years, and I, I, I never see people doing this mm-hmm. until we turn up. And then they go, oh, okay, well, that actually gives me... Now that I'm in this new state, I can see what I can do to fix this problem I've had for the last two years. So great insight for them. Great insight for them, you know. And and interestingly, problems just go away. So one of the interesting things I, I found around, um, you know, as you get older, you tend to have a flow state less and less. At school and as you're a kid, you're growing up, you tend to do a lot of running around. You tend to do all these things that actually are really, really healthy for your brain. You have great mental performance. What actually happens is after a certain age or a certain, you know, set of things you do in your life, there's no flow state anymore. There's no, no, zone, no zone. And what a flow state does for you, you know, almost inadvertently is create mental health. Because when you're in that space, you're thinking with such clarity, you know, you can solve problems. Um, one of my mentors, um, uh, John Grinder, who's one of the founders of NLP, he, he used to create... Um, or, or think of a problem he had with his business, and then he would think about it and sort of mark it out in his, in his car or in his office, and then he'd go and rock climb for three hours, and he'd come back and the problem would be solved because he's almost his mind had been working on it in a flow state. Mm. And that's the key. If you use your current state to think about the problems you've got, you'll keep getting the same result. Shift your state. You know, get excited, get, you know... Um, get confident, get creative, do something different, and just do that with your physiology or your rhythm. Get up and move around and, and shift your state, and as a result of that, you will automatically get different insights into what you're doing. Mm, so I'm assuming when he's on a rock face, he's not thinking about his business problems. So is it really just just shifting into a, like a different mindset, a different state, so that when he re, readdresses that, that particular issue, he's looking at it, from a different perspective. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. So when he's climbing, there is absolutely no thought for the original problem. It has gone out of his attention, and he is now just focusing on something. And then one of the most important things, if you're going to do something like that, it'll, you know, like juggling. Juggling is a great example because, and I know they've been using this TV show now, why it works is it requires 100% of your attention. 
you can't possibly think of the problems you've got while you're juggling mm. because there's things in the air you've got to pay attention to. Especially if they're knives. Exactly. So <laughs> what happens is you can actually get to the point of juggling where you can juggle and then still think about your problems. Now, therefore, you need to increase the complexity of the juggling. Mm. So it gets harder. So it requires all of your attention. And that, is, that means open peripheral vision again. So some of, you know, when you become a good juggler, you can juggle three balls without even thinking. Yeah. You need to make it more hard for yourself so your, the quality of your state continues to improve. Yeah. That's fantastic information. Mm. So let's say we have, we have a, an athlete or a business person and they're struggling in their business for the moment and, of course, we want them to go and see you, contact you through Neurosport. But if there's something, a piece of advice to get them unstuck, what, what would you suggest? Well, you know, I've heard some, some really interesting people come to me over the years and say, oh, I've got this problem, you know. And, um, so I'll give you a great example. Um, I had a, a lady who was, a, um, I think she was the secretary or the general secretary of a, of a major mining company, and she was being bullied on a regular basis. Mm. Um, and I think it had been going for a couple of years, and she was at the point where she was so stressed, she was about to give up her career, mm. and she'd been very successful until this job. Um, and so she was referred you know, to me, and we sat down, we had a coffee, and um, as we were going through the challenge, she described this pattern of behaviour. A pattern of behaviour means something that replays over and mm. over and over and over again. And it was this pattern of someone walking in, demanding something of her, um, you know, being quite brutal, um, emotional, uh, bullying in the moment, uh, and then leaving the office and her having done nothing but literally accept it. Yeah. Um, and that was the pattern. So she, over the last couple of years, she hadn't tried anything different. So we agreed that... Um, she would create a range of social experiments. That is, and the very first part of that agreement was she was not allowed to respond in any way she had ever responded before. If you keep doing what you've always done, you will always mm. get what you've always got. So we sat down and we, she designed uh, a set of congruent responses, so ones that she knew would be good for her in a way, and to live in a way that was okay for her. Um, and then she went away and she implemented. So she called me up two days later and said, totally different, everything's fixed. And I said, what did you do? And she goes, well, one of the guys who's been bullying me walked in the office and started his normal process. And I stood up and in none, no uncertain terms told him to leave my office. And I used quite a lot of four-letter superlatives in the process. And um, he had a very shocked look on his face and he left. And um, it's been two days and he is now treating me totally differently. Wow. Um, and she said it was very interesting. What I've now discovered in hindsight was this guy just wanted to see that I had a little bit of fight in me because we're in a really tough industry and this is really tough out there. And because I hadn't demonstrated that, he didn't, didn't trust me. He kept pushing me to see if I had some and I never gave it to him. So if you're stuck on something and you're not sure about where to go from here, let's go back to the very beginning. Start with what do you want that's different. So... One of the most important things that I've found with um, the coaching I do is if you don't start with your outcome, you just don't know where you'll get. You know, if you don't know where you are and where you want to be, you'll end up anywhere. So if you're stuck, first of all, to find what it is you want. What is the positively stated outcome of the thing you want? You know, oh, I, wanna, I want to be a, you know, I want my handicaps to be five. 
That is my goal. And I want to not just hand it up five, but I want to really enjoy my golf when it is a five. You know, or I want to hit this sales target. And when I hit that sales target, I want all my team to go and celebrate and have a great time. So knowing what these outcomes are, and then do anything and everything you can to get there. Mm. So keep changing it up. If you don't get any closer, change something. You know, that, that's the key. You know, know your outcome, take action, change it along the way to get closer and closer and closer. That is fantastic advice. Mm. Greg, thanks very much. Now, for the listeners, if you want to get in touch with Greg and I, I encourage you to do so at uh, neurosport.com.au. And you'll, you'll see when you get to the site that Greg's got extensive work both with athletes and with business, both with individuals and corporations. And he's doing a lot of brilliant work and getting fantastic results. Greg, thanks very much for today. My pleasure. Good luck, everyone.